Yep, walk slowly because Nathan hasn't quite made it back there. <laughs> yep, see you, Thiago. Have a good one. <laughs> He's like, can I go? Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, it is there's always things to be praying for in the church body. It's, it's neat to have Brittany and Will back all at the same time. And uh, with his travels, it makes it fun sometimes because we get to see them from time to time. And uh, that's how come we know that we'll see Scott and Rena, you know, from time to time. Um, you know, because uh, we'll send SOS out. We need a, we need a cutter. <laughs> come cut some meat. Um, but anyway, no, we'll see them from time to time. I'm sure of that. Uh, you can be in prayer if, if you notice this first time in a long time that we didn't have Pastor Ralph handing out communion. And uh, he had a couple of tumbles yesterday. He's not quite steady on his feet. Some of you know that a few weeks ago he was struggling with his heart, and they gave him some medication, and it's not, uh, the medication's not really doing well with the rest of his body, and so he's, he's struggling with steadiness uh, and stuff, so he stayed home uh, and praying that he gets uh, stronger, so it would be prayer for him. Um, I was really looking forward to him being here this morning and, and praying for our time around communion. And so I was going to put him to work, whether he passed out communion or not. <laughs> but I love that. And so you can be praying for them. And so his son is at home with him as well. And so you'll miss Raleigh here this morning. But uh, it's good to have everybody else. Also, uh, good to have back. Uh, and we have uh, uh, Andrew and, uh, gosh, Deborah, thank you. <laughs> I, you know, it's like I've I've started. To, I've remembered all morning talking about her that I forget as soon as I get up here. That happens to all, me all the time. But uh, Deborah is back with us. Don't expect her to talk a lot. She had surgery on her, on the back of her tongue, and so some of the nerves are still a little bit uh, dead. Uh, the worst part of that is that they're they're waking up, which is great. But the worst part is, is you know how your leg wakes up after it's been dead for a while? You know, when you, either you wake up in the morning or you left your legs crossed for too long and you, the toes begin to hurt, don't they? Well, that's kind of where she's at with her tongue. So uh, it's tingling, and so you can be praying for that. But praise the Lord, the feeling's coming back as the nerves are reattaching and reasserting themselves. And... Uh, and so I don't know, Andrew, if that's good or bad, <laughs> but uh, just a little side note for Andrew, but it's great to be in the house of the Lord and surrounded by loved ones and church family. We, we love that. But what makes us so special is God's word and, and our time together in that word and growing together. What really makes our family family is our growth and our focus on the Lord and his word. Um, that was never more evident than yesterday as some people learn about Marilyn's testimony in her life. Uh, we celebrated the life um, uh, of Marilyn Huffman yesterday in the memorial and her home going that was about three weeks ago. Um, and it was quite uh, amazing to go through her Bible and to share with that. But one of those that people learned great is her love for the Word of God. So much so that she didn't really want to write in her Bible. 
but also so much so that she didn't want her Bible to just be put anywhere, especially the ground. Many of you may have remember when she fell and broke both legs, it was solely because her Bible was falling and she tried to catch it. And in doing so, she went straight to the ground on both knees and broke both of her legs. Um, and she told me, I was like, I, I was sitting there telling her in recovery that it is, it is okay, your Bible can touch the ground. She's like, no, my Bible will never touch the ground. And, and she then proceeded to tell me that she got saved through reading her Bible. It was a gift from her parents when she was 16, and it's the same Bible that she's had her whole life. She's never uh, gotten rid of it. She's never, just because it started to get torn and tattered on the outside, it didn't matter. She kept it pristine on the inside, and she read it all the time, and it meant so much to her. But that's how, our, that's how we grow. That's how our love for God grows, and that's how our love for each other grows. It's through the importance of God's Word because it's living and it's active. Um, it is God speaking to us. And she took that very serious. I am carrying the living God with me when I take my Bible. And so she never wanted it to drop. And so that... Uh, that speaks to us even today that sometimes we take God's word for granted. And that's why we pray often. And that's why I pray before we read is to put the, the emphasis back on the living word, on God's message. And so let's pray this morning. Lord, we ask for those that are ailing and those that are not with us. We, we pray often for people that we miss or that are uh, moving, or we pray for them because, Lord, we it, it saddens our heart. We love them. We enjoy them. But, Lord, it's good to remember that all of those things come directly through what we know to be true about you. And we know those things through your word. That's why your word is important. That's why preaching it is important not just talking merely about your word, but proclaiming the truth that is from your word, the truth that is from you, that describes you, that helps us to know you, to not be distracted by the things in the world. And Lord, not so that way we don't get distracted and, and not live our life based on the truths that come from you. Lord, we recognize and that these truths that come from you help us to live our, our life in the way that you have designed. So, Lord, I pray that as we read your word, that you would, Lord, combat my lack of speaking or my tongue-twisting uh, words that I use sometimes or just the distractions of the day would be removed. Lord, our heart does go out to Pastor Ralph, and we love him dearly. But it's simply because of his love for you that in his shepherding of us, that makes um, him so dear to us. It's his life and his love of you. And so, Lord, help us to remember uh, him and his family and help uh, him to get back to us soon, sharing communion with us and shepherding us. Thank you for his ability to uh, bring the word Friday at his Bible study. 
That was a blessing to many. So Lord, speak to us now as we study even some hard things to grasp. We recognize that you will help us to remember all the things that are important through the power of your spirit. That's why you sent your spirit is to remind us of the importance of Christ and your word. And so all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, uh, there's so many different titles. As we move back into our study, we've taken the whole summer and, you know, and it's amazing. We're actually, it's like we're going to have summer type weather again this week, except for if you wake up early like I do, you see your breath. I know it's fall. Uh, <laughs> fall has come. But uh, so I love the, the summer weather. But as we move into back, we're going back into Romans and we're reminded by all the things and we're taking this last message in chapter five that we didn't speak to when we left off uh, in the springtime. And we're reminded about the greatness of God's work, of Christ's work on the cross, and the importance of our union and being tied to Christ, being, being knit together with Christ and not knit, knit together with Adam. We need to leave our life uh, and our union with Adam, and we need to be united in, and have our union with Christ. And why is that so important? And the reality is, is we see uh, Paul uh, telling the church in Rome, and he's uniting all the concepts from chapter 1 to chapter 6 in a tight little bow. Um, but because of that, he's using some very, very difficult concepts to understand. Many uh, wiser people than I have discussed how, uh, how uh, they struggled in this passage. And for that reason, I, I've, I've adopted what many have done, and that is, is they've really broken in this passage into three basic Things and that is, is this comparing and contrasting two men uh, and their two acts. And those two acts, we see the results of those two acts. And then we're going to talk about the importance of that in the conclusion. So we'll be moving fairly uh, swiftly. There, yes, there's to be some deep diving principles that I'm going to refer to. Um, and really, it's not difficult if you go back and look at chapters 2 and 3. They really do help us in understanding the difficult things. It's not that I'm saying that I've got it all figured out. I think I could study chapter 5 for the rest of my life and, and be like, oh, I can say this to help clarify that, or I could say this. I'm going to be having lots of aha moments the rest of my life. That's the beauty of God's word being living and active. He's going to always be teaching me, and he'll always be teaching us. But as we read this, remember, it's, it's about the two men that represent us. And these two men have two acts that they performed that also represent us. And there's these two results that can represent us. And, and so the, these are important. So let's read chapter 5, starting in verse 12 and going through 
the end of the chapter. So excuse me if I get tongue-tied. There's a few twists and turns, just like in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as, that's a contrast or a comparison, both all the way through this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounding for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift flowing, following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace through the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the man or the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's quite a lot of wheels turning. Just as we sing, the wheels on the bus go round and round. So does the concept of this passage. Paul is just churning the thoughts over and over. By the way, if you notice any dashes or parentheses, the text really, it's, it's amazing. In the Greek, 12 through 13 is Paul's introducing his thoughts. And then he continues his thoughts in verses 18 through 21. He actually puts a parentheses or an illustration or just broadening the concept in verses 14 through 17. And so uh, it's, it's interesting how this flows. And that also kind of um, causes some of the confusion. So if you read verses 12 through 13 and then and go right into 18 through 21, it helps get the main concept and then go back and read 14 through 17 is Paul expounding on that concept itself. 
is just really inputting. Um, if, you're, uh, if you've listened to me, I often will be say something and then say, oh yeah, and this reminds me of, and I'll explain what it reminds me of. Paul is doing the same thing to just try to broaden our, our thoughts on this concept. Um, in course, we know that this is in perfect harmony with what God intended, um, not to create confusion, but to just illustrate some main points. It's important for us to remember if we're gonna if we're going to get the gist of this passage. In Romans one through three, we learn about about man's condemnation before a holy God, that we all stand condemned. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that can say that we have a good life or have lived good enough. There is none who escaped uh, God that can escape God's wrath. We realize all of this as you read Romans 1 through 3. There is none natural, there is no natural man who just naturally is going to seek God's goodness. We see that in Isaiah, we see it in parts of Psalms, and we see it in the text in Romans chapter 3. We all stand condemned one way or another. There is none righteous, no, not one. And then we get to chapter, uh, shifting in chapter 3 through the rest of chapter 5, and we see and we learn about justification, how that we are declared right before God based on the work of Christ. We see this justification that it, it doesn't come through our good deeds, right? Because uh, we don't naturally, we, can we can't naturally, because of the flesh and, and because of what Adam has done, uh, we're learning today, which is not natural for us to do anything good. We're tainted. We're just a bad lot, right? Um, and so we can't justify ourselves based on our own works because by nature we're we're already condemned because of our flesh. And so we have that problem. And so we need to, to deal with that. We were uh, then declared right by Christ's work on the cross, by what he did. It was then uh, when we put our faith in that work, when we put our faith in that, God saves us because of his work. We are Though he is the one that justifies, we are not the one that justifies. And so that's an important lesson. Now what we have here at the end of chapter 5 is that we have condemnation and justification compared in contrast. We see where did that condemnation come from and where did that justification come from? How is it implied or how is it imputed? How is it applied to our life? How is the sin nature applied to our life? And how is justification and being declared right before God applied to her life. And this is important to know. Um, this is one of the major texts in, in, in original sin. You'll see, hear people talk about the, the origins of sin in the doctrine of man. Or when we learn about uh, man and where man comes from and, and how we view ourselves if we don't have a right view of ourselves, we struggle with God and we struggle with each other. And so the, the teaching and the understanding of original sin and where sin comes from is vital because it changes everything or it gives us everything that we need. So this is very important. And that's where Paul is getting to in this last 
heart. There's a lot of words that you're going to see that are comparing words. Um, you'll see the word as and or even so or not as this, contrasting and comparing between two different things. And so we notice the two men, the two acts in these two results this morning. So let's talk about the contrast between these two men. And what we have here is these two representatives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read in starting in verse 42, but before that in verse 22, Paul's writing to the church there in, in a huge section that I didn't want to try to read all of chapter 15 this morning before communion. But he says this, as in Adam, right? It's same as in our text here in Romans. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So we see that there are these two men being compared or we see that they're being uh, talking about. There's a contrast between both. Then even... The, then he even refers to Christ, Paul refers to Christ as the last Adam in verse 45. So if you go on to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, we see this comparison uh, that we now have not only Adam, the first Adam, but now we have the last Adam, and he compares Christ to Adam. And he says this, he says, the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam um, became a life-giving spirit. You see the contrast here between these two men. So these two men aren't the same person. They have two, there's a, there is a contrast between them. So uh, there, there are two parallels, they're paralleling each other, but just because they're a parallel doesn't mean they're exactly the same, and that's important. Mankind, all of us, are reflected or represented by Adam. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15. And that will, that's what we have here in our text, is, is that Adam is the representative or the head of all of sinful man. He is our representative. Um, and you're all like, man, that's not the representative I would choose, Right? Um, most of you, we have, we have this idea and we understand representatives. We vote in representatives and then we decide later on that we don't like our representatives, don't we? It's amazing. Uh, even, if you vote, even if you voted for somebody and they didn't win, it's amazing how the people that did vote for them decide they don't like them either. Uh, we have all of these things. We developed a government that, that collects taxes to run the government and to provide all of the things, uh, you know, because we like, you know, roads and we like safety and we like structure and, and we like all of these things, but then we don't, you know, we end up not liking taxes, right? Because basically taxes are our representative to take care of the things and the structure around us. So we deal with things and representatives all the time. Some we like and some we don't like. But they speak to, for us. And that is exactly what Paul's getting at. Adam is the representative of all mankind. Even though we're like, now that we realize that, we're like, I don't know if I want him to speak for me. That's the point. And then we get to the second part 
that we see, and, and that is that Christ is the representative and the head of all righteous people. Where did that righteousness come from? Well, if you go back to chapter 3, the righteousness came from Christ's work, his work. He's our representative in the work that he did when he died on the cross for our sins and that perfect work and he rose again and, and, and conquered. He rose again in life and conquered death. He is now our rep representative that provides righteousness to our life. That's a great representative. He provided everything that we need to stand before God for the rest of eternity. Both are representatives. In, in the theological world, you may have heard this, we call this federal headship. Um, it came from a Latin term uh, for the term for federal, which means our, a representative that covers a group or body. The whole point of this passage that we're concerned with this morning is this, the means by which we become partakers of Christ's Righteousness is an exact parallel of how we become partakers of Adam's guilt, the reason we need a Savior. Our relationship to Adam in the fall explains our relationship to Christ in his redeeming work. In fact, Paul in the phrase at the end of verse 14, um, uh, he's in, the, in the end of verse 14, if you see in our text, he says that, that Adam was a type, and he uses the word type, or a figure of the one who was to come. Adam is an archetype or a prefigure of Christ. He's like the foreshadowing of the one who would come. The one, just as Adam was a representative to a group, so that we had, he was a foreshadowing of a more perfect uh, representative that was going to come to Christ. Just like the tabernacle and the temple of, for, in Israel in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of Christ. Um, Christ completed everything and all the law, and he perfected all that because he was perfect, the perfect substance of all those things. They were just a, a shadow. They weren't, they weren't a complete substance to deal with our sin. So that's what Paul is saying here. The Greek word, by the way, for type is a die or a pattern, you know, like when you struck a coin. Paul is suggesting that the nature of Adam's headship over the human race is the exact pattern of the headship of Christ over the redeeming race. It's like a, koi, a coin being struck from the same die. So just as all of our sin is represented in Adam, so all of Christ's righteousness and what he did, his work, can be re represented for all those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. He is expressly, this is important to understand, that here he's, he's talking about the respective roles of headship held by both Adam and Christ in their perfect parallels. Right? But there's, a two, there's like a 180 degree different difference in what the result of their work is. So that brings us to these two acts, the two acts of these two representatives. Well, we start with Adam, right? When, 
God created everything. We have, uh, he created Adam and Eve, literally. They were the entire human race, right? They were everything human. They had all the DNA of the human race was found in them. Everything about them is us, right? That's why, by the way, this whole idea of different races in the world is theologically wrong. There's only one race, and it's the human race. There's only one. All the DNA, we share all DNA similarities. Now, some are more degraded than others, <laughs> right? We have problems, right? The more copies of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, the more problems we have, the more degraded we are. But it also gives us all of our differences and that we can celebrate all those differences. It gives us all the different beauties also. God knew what he was doing. But when, so all of the human race is found in Adam and Eve. And Adam was our representative during this time. In Adam and Eve, they lived, they were given instructions. They said, now everything belongs to you. You can, you have everything in the entire world is for you. Don't we like that when, when you can have everything? Right? He said, but God said, but this one tree, you hit, all of this is yours. But this one tree is the knowledge of good and evil. This is not yours. This is mine. It belongs to me. It's, it's really, and what happened is, is you have the, the human the entirety of the human race wrapped up into Adam and Eve, right? We're given a test. And we know as you look through Genesis chapter 2 and you get to Genesis chapter 3, we know they failed the test. What is amazing is, is isn't that just like all of us? We have everything that we, have, that we need, but yet we still gravitate towards the thing that we know is going to hurt us. We don't need it, right? But yet we want it. Isn't that crazy? It's built right into Adam and Eve. They struggled. But here's the thing. Adam was our representative in this test. The first, think about this, the first and the most perfect of all of us. He's the, the most perfect. He had everything. There was, he, he knew all the animal names. He, he named them. He could play with them. I don't know how much he did. <laughs> One day we'll, we'll find out how much he did. But all the animals, all the dinosaurs, all the everything, right? And all you ladies are like, even the spiders? Yes, even the spiders. <laughs> everything was working in connection with perfection, including Adam and Eve, Right? And frankly, if you or I were being truthful and we think about this, who in the world would you want to represent you? Well, now we say Christ, right? Yeah. But they're the, they're the most perfect of all humankind. They were the most perfect. They walked with God in the garden. They had everything. Adam was the prototypical human, but better, smarter, more honorable, and without sin. He wasn't compromised. And yet, this is the most fitting choice, an obvious choice to represent all of humankind, but yet he failed the test, didn't he? 
Adam was given a world of delights, and yet he failed because he focused on the fruit and what the fruit would give him. Because he acted in the capacity of our representative head, we fell into sin as he also fell into sin. We are guilty as he is guilty. We are corrupt as he is corrupt. We are compromised as he is compromised. Right? One act of disobedience, as we saw in the text here. By one man's act of disobedience. He was disobedient. He failed to simply obey. But think about this. However, there's Christ, the second one. Right? Christ lived in a world that was riddled with sin and and temptation. Think about it. The exact opposite. Think about these comparisons here. If you're taking the time to think about this, Adam lived in a perfect world. He failed. Christ lived in the most imperfect world. And yet, he succeeded. It was riddled with sin, temptation. Christ was tempted daily. And not just by Satan. Remember, he was tempted by Satan in the desert. And and Satan always comes at the very end of our our strength, right? In the end of 40 days while he was fasting in the desert, Satan came and tempted him. Right when you're weakest, don't you hate that? Satan throws something in front of you, and what do you do? You give in, and you sin. But But Christ didn't. He had to obey in order to be a perfect representative and a perfect sacrifice. And he could obey because he was God. He was perfect. He had to obey the entirety of God's commandments in a fallen world. But Adam couldn't do that. Christ's act of obedience. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. And being found in a human form, Christ, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have these two acts, one out of disobedience and the other act of obedience. Well, the, the difference between these two men is our representative in Adam was disobedient, but our perfect representative in Christ was obedient in all things. In, right? That's amazing. That brings us to the contrast between the two results. These two results, because of these two results, were brought two different things to our life. Uh, you'll notice in, in verse 19, if you go down and go and draw your attention, it says, Therefore, as one trespass, verse 18, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. And he says, For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. 
So by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. God brings us some interesting verbiage here. The verb were made is important to understand. Um, the, the verb literally means to be made or to become constituted into something else. But the important thing about this and why it's so important to understand this truth is, is that the verb is in the passive. That means you had nothing to do with it. Again, going back to our two representatives. You had nothing to do with the fact that your nature, you can't change your nature. Because, because of Adam, our nature was made sinful. I like the but, though, that's coming. But because of the other nature of Christ, we were given the opportunity through his work on the cross to be made righteous. Not in our righteousness, it's passive. We didn't do anything to be made right. God did that. That's what's so important here. We were all recipients of Adam's sentence, so also the fact that there is nothing, also we have nothing to do in and of ourselves in the action of being made righteous in Christ. We are all the recipients of his work on our behalf. That's amazing. So we see here this, if we go back and we read verses 12, 14, and 15, we see that Adam's one act produced sin in all of our lives. We're all sinful. That's why in Romans 3 it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Not only that, but death. His one act of disobedience provided death. We have death in the world, death, destruction, and corruption because of this act. Not only that, and you know what's worse than death? Is what comes after death. Judgment. Verse 16 and 18. Because of Adam's act of disobedience, now we're all under judgment. When we die, not the, you know, say nothing could be worse than death. Oh, yeah. Because death isn't final. We stand before a living God and have to then be held responsible for that sin in our life. Judgment comes. But not only judgment, but then condemnation, eternal condemning of our life. A life that if you don't have the second representative, what Christ did, right? We have a life of eternity in hell, of of eternal pain and anguish for the rest of eternity. And it's amazing as we see this this representative act that has been done, and and this is the result. This is what we receive because of that act of disobedience. One act produced all of this. But what is important is to realize that idea of one, that one representative, and what God is teaching us here is there's so many implications and, and something important because of one man act, we can also then be represented by another man's act. The perfect man. So Adam was meant to be just a foreshadowing of what was to come in perfection in Christ. Look at Christ's act and what it brought. 
Christ's act in verse 17, 18, and 21 brings life. And we read that reflection of that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that we saw Adam brought death, but Christ brings life. The opposite here is instead of a life of sin, now we have life and life eternal, real life. Remember Christ said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. The life that you now live right now is just an abstract, a foreshadowing of what was meant to come in Christ. We weren't meant to live that life, but we are meant to receive a free gift. Just as Adam and Eve were given the free gift of a perfect world and a perfect relationship with Christ, and it was all destroyed by that one act, so Christ's act of production the, produces real life, a full life, but it we receive this also free gift of salvation, of grace. A free gift of grace, of what we don't deserve. It makes that grace much more than the sin that we lived our life in under Adam. Life, free gift, grace, that then declares us right in God's eyes, justification. We've been given the gift of justification to be declared right because of Christ's act. His obedience brings our justification. It brings righteousness, a life filled with righteousness, which is simply saying, you know, if you look through the whole Old Testament, uh, Israel was under the law and they, they had this thing, they had to keep, keep doing the law in order to be declared right in God's eyes because it was just a foreshadowing of Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. They could never live a life totally obedient in God's eyes. But the one man's act, Christ's one act of obedience brings the ability for us to have righteousness, because it's not ours, it's his. And that righteousness helps us to live in obedience to God. A perfect relationship. It brings us in a right standing. This is a perfect, uh, the one man's act of Adam's act of disobedience. And, and it's, a, it's this reflection, it's a parallel, but it's a reflection 180, right? You notice the reflection is, is separate. It produces something totally different. These, these verses show a sharp distinction between the law and grace. The perfect or the purpose of the law was to increase sin. The purpose of increased sin is to show the increased grace and the greatness of God's grace. It's meant to drive us into a life of living in God's gracious kindness towards us, to love him. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning when we focus more on sin and, and losing things in this life, we tend to see God not as a gracious God, but the law and sin is meant to show us how great his grace truly is. 
The more we have broken the law of God, the more you have sinned against God and against him only. And the more you realize that you've sinned against God, the more you realize the grace of God. God has never been in the business of saving righteous people. The whole point of the Old Testament wasn't to show that, wow, I saved a a righteous and good people. The whole point of the Old Testament was to show the sinfulness of people and the fact that he saves people by his righteous right hand. He has always been in the business of saving law-breaking sinners. Will you believe in this one act of the Lord Jesus Christ today? If you will, you'll be justified forever by the sovereign grace of the God of the Bible. Not the God that the world makes up, but God, the creator. But consider this. You say, well, why, why all this? It, it's, it's, Pastor, you're right. It's complicated. <laughs> I've tried to make it as skeletal as possible. <laughs> but now I want to hang a few things on this skeleton. Maybe help you. Why is this so important? Here's the thing. Without this legal imputation of sin or this legal imputation of righteousness, without this teaching of, of how sin is applied to all mankind and, and how God's righteousness is applied to all mankind, where salvation comes from, we would have no hope without this. Without one man and one man in being able to affect the many, we would have no hope. Christ was able to pay the penalty for our sins because the guilt of those sins was imputed or put on him, laid to bear on him. If you rule out the, 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 that imputation of guilt from one person to another, you destroy the very notion of someone being able to atone for our sin. It just destroys atonement, the payment of sin. And in the similar sense, this doctrine explains how the merit of Christ's righteousness can be applied to all who are in Christ. And this is the only way that while we are yet sinners, God can justify us and bring us into a perfect and right relationship with himself. So you know, I say, well, this is kind of irrelevant, irrelevant to my life. No, 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 I just showed you that it is extremely relevant. So why show the contrast of these two heads of humanity? Those that are sinners and then those that are saved by grace. Here's the, here's the, the application. To point us away from self-confidence. Because of what we know to be true, because of Adam and his perfection and the way God created the world and as a perfect representative for us, and yet he failed. We have no hope in Adam. It points to us that we have no self-confidence. Our confidence solely, our hope only comes in Christ. Remember that message last week? Our only hope is in Christ. We, everything is in Christ. Our ability to put on the new man is in Christ. 
our ability to do righteous things and, and to be found good and to be found right is in Christ. It's all in Christ. Right? It's, it's to help us to not be self-confident to uh, delivering ourselves from the curse of the fall. It also brings us to the end of ourselves to realize that we're at the end of the rope. There's nothing else we can do. So that with complete abandonment, we say, I'm at the end. There's nothing else. There's nothing I can do. And I turn to Christ. So that to remind us that we are never to rely upon personal performance. This helps us to realize we don't rely on our performance. We don't rely on good deeds as a source of assurance of our, of our good standing with God. It's because of who represents us. The whole world is represented by two people. Adam or Christ. Often, the Lord brings this reality of our weakness so that we might not only learn to rely on his superabundance of grace, but so that we prefer to rely on that superabundance of grace. He doesn't want us to prefer to rely on ourselves, but to prefer him. He desires us to enjoy him. Uh, John Piper made that famous or more famous (laughs) when he wrote a lot early on in his career as a pastor and as a teacher. And And also this is, the application is to explain the world in which we live in. This passage, more than any other, explains the reality of the world. That people lie, cheat, kill, victimize each other, because of Adam, because of disobedience. Really, the root problem of every sin is the fact of disobedience, of pride, saying that I am more important than God. We can either say that disobedience is the result, you know, that we can lump sin under disobedience or pride, either one. But this is the reality. We aren't merely conditioned. That's a theory going around. A philosophy. We aren't merely conditioned to be sinners. We are sinners. We aren't sinners because we sin. We're sinners because we are sinners. That's our nature. Because of Adam. Perhaps, I stole this out of, I was reading a, an article by someone else. And he said, perhaps this theological masterpiece is best summed up by this. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Right? Humpty Dumpty needed a complete transformation, like in the frying pan. (laughs) Right? It's like we, we can't just put it back together again. Have you ever done that? Broke something and said, oh, I'll just glue it back together? It doesn't work. It just keeps breaking. We need a clean 
break. We need a clean transformation. This passage explains why the virgin birth is so important. We need a savior that's not Adam's descendant. That's not a descendant of Adam. A direct line. It explains why this is so important that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Our second Adam, Jesus, needed to take the road that Adam did not take. He needed to choose to obey and serve the Lord. Right? We, we need a virgin birth. This, this is why. It deepens our appreciation of our salvation. Do you realize this is the skeletal, that whole theological inferences here, and I could probably spend two years talking about all of them just because I need to make it clear in my own mind, would be the, this very thing. It helps us to see how great God's work is for us. Why we have freedom in Christ. Not the freedom to do whatever we want, but the freedom to be, not to be under sin. We're free. When you read those passages, remember, it's not freedom to do whatever we want. It's freedom from the burden of Adam. It just appreciates our relationship. So when, you're, when you know you sinned, that appreciation drives us to God's graciousness. We want to go to God. And we're like, help me. It should spur us on to witness, right? It should spur us on to witnessing and saying how great God is. I have a, I have a great representative, right? I, I'm no longer under Adam. Sometimes we make so much out of wrong things. We make much of everybody's sin, everybody's wrong attitude, everybody's wrong philosophy, everybody's wrong... But everything just is pales in comparison to what Christ did for us. And that's what this teaches us. We have a great representative. We don't have a representative that, man, I'm so sorry I voted for that one. We don't have that problem. I'm putting my vote on Christ and thankful for his salvation that he did in my life. And it's not hard to talk about that. It's not hard to talk to people in our community about that. You don't have to get caught up in all the arguing. Get caught up in Christ. Ultimately, this is what it does. It helps us to make wise choices in our living. If my hope is built in these truths, it will help me to make wise choices in all that we do. That leads to what Paul is going to get to in chapter 6. This is the beginning of our sanctification. This is the beginning of realizing how we become and bear more of the image of Christ, our representative. Why this representation is so important. Our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus 
righteousness. Remember, I mean, in that great hymn, it's not about ours, is it? No. This morning, you say, you know, I, I, Pastor, I've really struggled. Where are you putting your representation in? You began to realize the battle that was fought for our soul. Satan wants you to focus on your representation of the flesh. You know, every lie that we have is either to distort our representative, the Lord Jesus Christ, or to distort and your flesh, to say, hey, this flesh is better than you really think it is. Right? Just, you know, the drugs, right? The effects of the drugs, the immediate effects are great. The lasting effects destroy us. Satan does that. He takes anything that God created and distorts the truth to affect our flesh so that way we don't focus on our true representation in Christ. That's the two basics of what Satan does. He distorts our, the flesh. He makes the flesh greater and he makes our representative in Christ lower. How big is Christ in your life? Because how big Christ is in your life will help you to make the choices that suppress the weaknesses of our flesh. It's not based on our good deeds. It's based on Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great truth and how it truly impacts our life. I pray that it would make an impact on our hearts and our minds as we move forward taking the gospel with us, this gospel of the good news of what Christ is doing in our life, not only at our salvation, but every day in our life as you do that good work and to change us into the image of our representative. May we not let this world or the order of this world, the one who's representing this world, may we not believe the lies of our, making our flesh great and distorting and making Christ low. Lord, may we look to you and gaze upon you each day. May you build up this body as a lighthouse who magnifies that greatness. Or if there's someone here that has been focusing and they know that they're under Adam, they're, that's their representative. They've been focusing on their life, their goodness, their things, their deeds, and they know about God, but they've just solely been living everything based on themselves and in the world. But they've never, they don't have Christ as a representative that this morning that they would admit what Christ has done. Admit that they, there's no confidence in ourselves, their deeds. That they would admit that they are under Adam and that they would run to Christ. Lord, pray that you would save them this morning. Thank you for the new births that you give us in Christ. Thank you for that work that you do that we could never do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.